0: This podcast is brought to you by our patrons. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash have a drink.
1: This is your beer, liquor, and other beverage news for the week of May 29th, 2021. Sexism and beer, the devil, you say. Trappists fight for their rights with quarries.
0: You can save your local British pub for just 127 beers a year.
2: Napoleon's wine sold. No way it's still good. All this and more on Have a Drink News.
0: Welcome to Have a Drink News, the show where we cover the week's popular news about what you drink. I'm Brittany Thee
2: Walker. I'm Justin Frazier.
1: And I'm Christopher Walker. Let's get right into the news. So, there's been a story percolating now for a few years. Has it
2: been percolating or has it been brewing?
1: I'll show myself out. <laughs> okay. So, uh, as the intro may have suggested... If you're shocked <laughs> to f- have found out in the last few weeks that racism and sexism and just downright awful people and things have somehow been attracted to the craft beer industry, I don't know what rock you've been living under. It's because you really can't go out and not see or experience this stuff.
2: I mean that yeah, but wouldn't you want to live in their world
1: where where it's
2: just
0: what not a that thing make... that happens? Which is great,
1: yeah. Every- yeah. Yeah. Well, no, no. Uh, last, uh, so this, the we've not talked about this uh, because in, even since this new new round bringing to light has happened, because how do you boil this down? Because like we like we try to personally pick shorter stories. We don't write the stories. We find other write ups and source them, and we always tell you all where we're getting these stories from because we' also don't have the time to do the research for this and the main show. So finding one of these that's like would be sub an hour going through it kind of a kind of a deal. yeah, so we we have one uh, this week from was it eatery eater eater, I'll, I'll, eater. although
2: now I'm thinking of as man, this could be an actual show topic for main show at some point. Just a, it could. It would be it a worked. complex one that's way down the road, not not anytime soon. Yeah,
1: yeah so their breakdown of it was short and to the point, and that's when I was like, all right, we this will do, because I don't know who would be listening to this show and not have heard of the events going on, but just in case, we're going to make sure everyone knows, because we have a platform, and honestly, it's our responsibility to get this stuff out through our platform. So last summer, amid social justice protests following the murder of George Floyd, the restaurant industry experienced a second wave of the hashtag MeToo reckonings driven by social media. For weeks, workers anonymously shared stories of harassment and racism with Instagram accounts that made it their mission to make abuse public. And now, nearly a year later, the same arc is playing out again, this time focused on the craft brewing industry. And honestly, between them, stuff has kept going. We had the the whole saga with what was going on up at uh, Brooklyn Brewing. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Where it, it, it boiled down to the the employees had <laughs> managers fired and kicked out. Yeah,
2: which uh, <laughs> is an impressive change of uh, how that usually would go.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this it's not like, oh, it, it just started up. I don't know. It was like, no, it's just these things were still going on and are still going on. So vine pair reports. So this was eater sourcing from a vine pair article, but we looked up the original vine pair article. It was entirely too long. So we're like, you know what? We're going to take your <laughs> shortening of that article and run with it. But VinePair reports, uh, that last week after a day in which she was particularly frustrated by the sexist comments she got at work, Brian Allen, uh, production manager, at Notch Brewing in Salem, Massachusetts, invited women in the industry to share their stories of sexism and harassment via her Instagram account, which is at Rat Magnet. At uh, hundreds of accounts. Hmm. That,
2: oh, sorry, I'm just I, I haven't seen the whole like list of what must have happened on that, but I'm just like, that can't have been a fun Instagram thing.
1: No, it's not a fun one, but it's one that everyone needs to go look at. Yeah. Uh, hundreds of accounts poured in and Alan, uh, and anonymized. I was going to say, how, how would you want to say that one? Anonymized and shared them on her Instagram stories. They included sexist comments like the ones that prompted Alan to post, but there were also direct accusations of sexual harassment and assault as w- As well as descriptions of deeply toxic workplaces. And that's one reason, like, covering this whole thing had been really difficult for us because I was like, it honestly, the problems are different brewery to brewery. It's not like every brewery has all these problems, or uh, you know, it's varying degrees. Depends on you know the local scenes Depen- and cultures.
2: Depends on who who's the problem. Is it other employees and it's a, a, a workplace thing?
1: Is it the management actively doing it, or is it they letting it get by? Is it the is it the customer base? Is it's, it yeah? Because that was her problem that started all this. Is it was customers mm. yep coming in or uh non non-brewery employees so someone from like distribution coming in and making the comments or some you know things like that at her because if you go and look up the story uh, at the rat magnet thing she was talking about she was brewing and she was changing hoses out and doing something and then there were guys making passive sexist comments about how she looked in her in her work clothes and all this stuff, and like, oh, don't you need to get someone to help you with that? And then it's just like, I'm the brewer. Like, yeah. what the F? That's what started it. The accusations now saved in the Instagram stories are summarized in a public Google Doc right. have reverberated across the industry in the weeks since they appeared. Major breweries have issued apologies, and in some cases, men named in complaints have left their positions. Good. Uh, Jacob McKean, founder and CEO of Modern Times Beer, uh, which has locations across California and in Portland, Oregon, resigned. In a statement, he addressed his role in a particular incident, announced that another employee named in an accusation had been let go and promised changes to Modern Times harassment reporting procedures and a renewed commitment to bystander and anti-harassment training. This came after Modern Times staff members in Oakland announced on Instagram on Tuesday that they would be stopping work until management acts in a way that aligns with our personal values of inclusion and equality. And this is pretty much what Boulevard had to do. Like the yeah. Oh, yeah. brewery team was just like, this isn't us. Like this is our company. Yeah. And they got members of management let go It's because a- they were just like, no, either you get rid of them or we don't work.
2: It's a... Surprising that Modern Times was so <laughs> behind Not the modern. times. Uh, again, yeah. I'll show myself out.
1: <laughs> Other breweries across the country announced they have terminated those mentioned in accusations. Alan social media posts have also had an impact internationally. Inside Hook reports that due to multiple allegations, Soren Wagner founder and head brewer of Copenhagen's Dry and Bitter Brewing Company, has resigned. The craft beer world is notoriously homogenous. The devil you say. (laughs) A 2019 report from Trade Publication Brewers Association showed that just 7.5% of brewery employees with the title of brewer were women, and 88% of craft brewery owners were white. Males with beards and podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's just. It's
0: just assumed the rest of that. I mean, we, you know.
1: And the notion uh, that it's difficult to be a woman working in craft beer is well established. The nonprofit organization, the Pink Boots Society, with which uh, Alan is affiliated, was formed precisely to support women in the industry. And a piece published today on Good Beer Hunting describes the constant threat women face at beer festivals and the hoops they have to jump through safely to navigate them. Uh, but the social media accusations, which detail specific and harrowing incidents, have made what was vague knowledge of an issue real and difficult uh, to ignore. And just as the Me Too movement has done for restaurants previously, there's hope that these call-outs will be the thing that first removes abusive men from power and then starts wider dialogue about how to restructure craft brewing so that it's safe for everyone. That has been, like, that. Have, like it has to be done, but everyone's always, it's like, how do we do it? And it's like, well, you have a platform. Like, for us personally, that's one thing that I've been forever. Just like, what am I, like, short of, you know, not being a racist, sexist, ass hat <laughs> when I'm out at a brewery. What else can I do? Yeah. And it's like, well, I can call it out on here. That's something we can do like personally. But what is the regular drinker supposed to do? Because if you're out somewhere like I'm. Uh, this is this is the point that got brought up on uh, one of Gnarly Gnome's shows because he was like, well, what if you know if you're out and you see it and you call it out but it's you know it's not a thing to the people the regular patrons then you're the weird guy calling this out there yeah uh it which
2: makes it strange i guess and you know maybe the i don't know there, there's there's a whole lot that can go on with that where it's like what how do you how do you fix systemic sexism and racism uh yeah and <laughs> uh, which is a yeah bigger question than I can answer. But you know, all I can like. Oh, uh, no, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was gonna say all, all I can think of is like, well, not be a dick and try to stop it if I see it. But you know, even trying That's to stop it when you say. see it is is like he was saying is you get into a weird position where did you make things worse? Did you make the you know? What, yeah. What just happened? So.
0: I don't know. And it's awkward, but I mean, I feel like it's it's like the the racism thing like I know there are instances in my previous job in which I should have said something about the many and and albeit like unknowingly racist jokes because, you know, people a lot of the times people also granted some of them were knowingly, but sometimes they were just like things people say and don't realize that they're saying like something horrible, Mm -hmm. but I should have said, said something that is, it's like the, the anti-racist thing now. Like that's, that's how you do a step forward versus not doing anything about anything, you know? Yeah. Same. And it's the same thing for the sexism stuff.
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: Well, uh, (laughs) starting off the episode strong getting the conversation (laughs) out there guys that's just guys and gals do do what you can like this is this is something like this is the hobby this is like for all of us like we are deep into the you know craft beer culture and this has been there the whole time and it's one of the, like we can't just keep dancing around and going, you know, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, well, we've got to figure out what to do with our hands. We've got to do something about this. Keep them yeah. off other people's... Well, it yeah. Turns
0: out, yeah.
1: Uh, turns, out, your damn self. turns out, no one wanted touching. Hmm, who would have thought? Me, I would have thought. Uh, well, you don't like any touching. <laughs> so, like, we're not even allowed to hug you. So, no affection. Like, that's...
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean... Look, when you grow up in a cold and sterile environment, uh, <laughs> no, seriously, uh, I, I would say, you know, you know, when you, in this sort of thing, you, you remember, do unto others, like perhaps the people in our next story would, well, depending, I don't know, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to do it a blanket endorsement for the Catholic Church, but Trappist monks are <laughs> in the news.
1: I thought about Trappist monks in the news again.
2: <laughs> not not for bad things. Uh, no, uh, pulling from Vine Pair, uh the tale of two extreme uh, extremes of David and Goliath, a small monastery known for its commitment to manual labor, religious uh, prayer schedule uh, is pitted against a multinational corporation backed by one of the wealthiest families in Belgium. Uh, Which is a weird sentence to say The wealthiest families in Belgium I get it, that means they're very rich Mm -hmm. But in my head, I was like But are they?
1: Means Uh, they're very old money Yeah.
2: Well, the monastery, the Notre Dame de uh, Saint-Rémy Saint-Rémy Is at odds with a neighboring quarry Owned and operated by the multi-billion dollar firm Loist Loist? L-H-O-I-S-T uh, oh, anyway, over a yeah. yeah, over a shared water supply. The long standing battle appears to now be coming to a close after the monastery won the favor of a, of the court in a ruling that declare that La Hoist lacks the right to remove or divert all or part of the water uh, which supplies the abbey. Which you would think would be a pretty obvious like, yeah, no, you can't take all of it. It's not yours. <laughs>
1: Yeah. We were like, well, let's look back to see when the church and when that abbey was founded. And I'm going to bet it was before your company tried to place any claim on it.
2: Uh, the Benedictine Monastery is in southern Belgium is one of only 14 in the world authorized to brew Trappist beers. Uh, the monks utilize the spring water that is hand-drawn from a well in the monastery to brew their unique beer known for sweet caramel notes and grainy flavors hoist a large scale mineral and lime producer uh, not the kind of lime that we're used to uh, (laughs) that operated since 1889 uh, has uh, intended to expand its site by pumping water and redirecting flows uh, to extend the life of the quarry representatives of the monastery are concerned about the quality and uh, quantity and quality of the spring water as a result of the operation Uh, this reminds me of uh, back home back in the hills when the coal mine ruined the, ruined the water table in my in our holler, and all of a sudden we all got city water, as we called it, <laughs> we got you know water ran to us rather than drawing from wells.
1: because uh, <laughs> there are
2: no good wells anymore. Yeah. Also, I I never poison. I never sound more like a bumpkin than when I refer to it as city water.
0: That's what we. Yeah. I mean, but <laughs> that's that's we're all we said, used to growing it growing I mean, uh,
2: when the city water got out there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, for decades, the two have battled it out in court, but in recent findings that La Jolla does not have the authority to damage or redirect water that might uh, may bring relief to the monastery, uh, the Abbey relies on the income that it uh, derives from sell, uh, selling b- beer to sustain its religious mission, with historical references dating back to the 16th century. Trappist monks have been brewing in the current location since 1899. Uh, which... Is in their current location is less time than the the other company has been in operation, but I don't think they've been in that same quarry for that long. Anyway, the Benedictine monks do not take vows of silence. Uh, uh, Unnecessary speaking is viewed as a distraction and temptation to avoid prayerful meditation. In this rare instance, they're raising their voice to protest environmental destruction and protect their precious water supply and
1: way of life.
0: Uh See, that's when you know you messed up, <laughs> making them talk and
1: stuff. You're making Benedictine monks raise their voices. What you do?
2: Uh, the spokesman for Loist says the company is considering appealing the ruling and seek to continue its operations until 2045, a date that has been repeatedly pushed back as it draws near. For now, the brewery is saved and the monks are preparing for more legal battles if necessary. Jeez. It makes me just think that, oh, look, we can outspend the Catholic Church. They're not paying attention to this small group <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, but yeah, at least it's good news for today. who knows by twenty forty
1: five let's let's just hope like for twenty forty five basically let's hope they can now. get some new blood into the Benedictine church
2: that, that might be their actual plan
1: is like, look, yeah, I was gonna we'll, say, like, they can wait them out because what the average age of the be- Benedictine monks is like 147 the, 60s or <laughs> 60s or 70s. It's like, is that their plan? 2045, yeah, they'll all be dead.
0: Well, that's sad.
1: Uh, you know what's also sad?
2: State of the bar is in England,
0: mm, indeed. Yeah, the hospitality industry has been one of the hardest hit by the pandemic, with bar and restaurant closures and capacity restrictions amounting to losses of approximately $600 billion. Uh, yet an easy solution to this widespread problem may be to simply drink more beer, according to a firm specializing in financial and statistical analysis. That's,
2: that's Those are some some uh, statistics I can get behind. They just went, yeah, okay, guys, hear, hear me out. Yeah. What if we drank more?
0: Crazy idea. So after calculating the figures, company debt determined that if UK residents of drinking age each consumed an extra 124 pints this year, the extra revenue flow would equate to the total lost by the industry nationwide because of COVID. Uh, That amounts to just under a half a pint per day, a small task for beer lovers. For
2: just ounces a
1: day, you can save. (laughs)
0: That's immediately what I got,
1: man. <laughs> so, what you're saying is we could personally put a dent in this. Let's go book some some plane tickets. <laughs> <laughs> we'll or pub crawl
2: through uh, through yeah. London from one end of it to the other. <laughs> just yeah. I'm save the hospitality industry. <laughs> just running through, just dropping money. That What are you doing? I'm saving your company.
1: <laughs> you're- so, basically, what they need to do is... Uh, uh, from the end of the world. Uh, world's uh, end. The pub crawl. World's end. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, Because yeah. yeah, end that, of the world was the last up. pub. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> or the world's end. Yeah.
0: So while these numbers were only calculated for drinkers on the other side of the pond, the, sum, uh, the same principles apply here in the States. It is estimated that two and a half million jobs were lost uh, between restaurants and bars, and uh. sales were $240 billion below projections for the year. Using the same rudimentary calculations, dividing the total revenue lost by approximately 197 million drinking age residents with an average pint price of $5.60, hmm, uh, amounts to a taller order of nearly 218 pints per person in the U.S. All right. So, got a lot of work to do, guys. What they're
2: saying <laughs> is every time we think I've had enough, think of the servers. Have one more.
1: Just realize. That's a bad, need, that's bad that's advice. That's new slogan. When you think you've had enough, you need to have just one more. <laughs>
2: that's horrible. This, uh, that is not legal advice. Do not do that. Uh,
0: yeah, that's... Does it take into account, like, the tips that the servers make in the U.S. versus... The fact... Like They don't have to worry about that in literally anywhere else in the world, so...
2: Yeah, where they just get get paid livable <laughs> they just wage. get
0: paid a normal wage like you should they get
2: paid enough to live
0: yeah it's mm. weird <laughs>
2: uh well you know maybe with maybe if they pull all their their livable wages they can buy some wine vinegar from Napoleon yeah because so, because no, that's what I this, love that's what this this next story is about Go ahead, Chris. It's
1: literally an episode of Loop on the Third that we've referenced countless times. <laughs> it's our- <laughs> come to fruition. Oh
2: god, I watched it again not that long ago, and I'm just I'm watching it going like, "Yep, this is this is just as good as I remember." Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the a bottle of 1821 Grand Constant, uh, Constance uh, was meant for Napoleon Bonaparte. Shattered Wine Auction Estimates when it sold for $30,000 last weekend at the uh, Cape Fine and Rare Wine Auction. auction. Mm -hmm.
1: Wow, that's cheap from what I would have expected. Well, it can't be like you're you're not expecting to drink. I say you can't be expecting to drink it. Representatives, you put it in a glass case and show it off. Well, representatives uh,
2: expected it would fetch somewhere between six and nine thousand dollars. Just what I would expect for historic vinegar. (laughs) Uh, But bidding continued well after the mark was cleared. Uh, less than a dozen bottles are believed to exist from the shipment that was destined for the island of St. Hela for Napoleon's enjoyment. Uh, the, one the last time one of these bottles was offered was in 2016. The lucky bidder won the auction for the, for approximately $1,720.
1: Oh my. So this, uh, this auction would make them, if they still had that bottle go, uh, let's put this baby up for sale.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, the, he, Napoleon was import, reported to have enjoyed a bottle of his favorite wine daily, consuming approximately thirty per month. Uh, the vintage was spared uh, when his the former emperor died. Uh, the, this vintage was spared when the former emperor died in uh, eighteen twenty-one while in exile, and not because of slow arsenic poisoning. Did they prove it was arsenic, or was it
1: there was a disturbing amount in his blood? It, it wasn't. In, it might not have quotes it, it, intentional. Yeah. It was. Uh, it's believed because of uh, the massive amounts of arsenic in the paint used yes. in his home and the humid climate of the island where he was banished to, basically keeping the paint wet at all times. So anytime he touched a wall, he was being dosed with arsenic.
2: In banishment to Electric Boogaloo.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I no okay. This is in the weeds. Side a side thing. I still love the fact that to feel like he was getting one up on <laughs> on everyone and while he was in banishment he dug small trenches all cuz he took up gardening and while he was gardening he dug small trenches all around the property so he could he couldn't he still couldn't leave the property cuz there were guards everywhere but he could move around on the property grounds in his little personally dug trenches without people knowing exactly where he was. And he was taking these like small victories day by day.
0: (laughs) You gotta do what you gotta do. Uh,
1: And sometimes
2: what you gotta do is conquer all of Europe. Uh, (laughs) A couple of times. uh, Well, the... uh, Yeah, they go on just to kind of talk about the brand that... That he had uh, that he had enjoyed, but uh, <laughs> they said it is uh, not known whether the new owner is looking for a sound investment or a solid reason to celebrate. Uh, but we know many people who would kindly invite them over for a world class tasting party. Uh, no. <laughs> no. Okay, so apparently. Uh, South Africa renowned drink makers Distell, uh, considered the seller, the firm retains two of the more historic vintages. Two more of the more historic vintages. The bottles were recorked in 2019 to preserve the integrity integrity of the product and guarantees that guarantees the precious wine is still drinkable.
1: No, there's no way. No, so okay. When they're saying drinkable, what they are saying is that it's a liquid that will not a liquid that will go, ha- that will go down harm your, your health. Yes, it won't kill you. And
0: say otherwise, drinkable is very subjective.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're not saying it's enjoyable. It is a bottle of Pilgrim's doll. That is very enjoyable. Uh,
2: you know, I, I we will agree to disagree. Uh, we need a third opinion. Let's ask new, newfound brewer Queen Elizabeth II. Queen Elizabeth. Yes. This is where she would come in.
0: Uh, uh Boo,
2: yes. <laughs> i was gonna say britney no i need i need more of a queen voice uh if you can't be a... you can't do that do robin williams and uh, mrs doubtfire <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i'm sorry i've been like hung up on like how do i say this word um because i've I mean, honestly I have no idea so i'm gonna uh, butcher things anyway so Queen Elizabeth II uh seems like more of a gin top a tippler but uh well, she, from everything that has been reported uh I, I would think she I think gin too she, for some reason she, they, I don't know what that is uh
2: because they make uh, a gin uh ah, like okay. her estate now makes gin as well as
1: what we're and do. that's like the that's the drink of like her generation. Mm. Well, yeah, yeah. Like true. World War II, yeah. Brits, like gin, gin, gin and tonics. Like that's look. There's well, a reason it was wants... gin
2: martinis and mash.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Well, if she wants a good beer, it turns out that uh, she can just drink drink her own brand, as the monarchs. This is the word, Sondringham? Sandringham.
2: Yeah, it's the name of The state? Uh, yeah. Okay, you need to cool. watch. You need to watch uh, The Crown. You'll you'll learn how to say all of the castles.
0: Yeah, I figured. <laughs> uh, so it's begun brewing and selling its own beer, um, which of course is exclusively available on site. Uh, made with organic barley grown on the grounds of the Queen's Retreat in Eastern England, Sundringham State's beer proclaims itself as quote Norfolk brewed, uh, and it's currently available in two distinctly British styles: a Best Bitter and an IPA. I'm, okay, um, <laughs> sorry i'm
2: just picturing any of the royal family drinking an ipa
1: right i, I have a feeling it's not going to be Feels the uh, <laughs> the style of ipa that yeah no it's not a west coast ipa
2: to. but i just mean although <laughs> sorry i'm picturing like prince philip going no no i need me a juicy juicy <laughs> hot bomb indeed before he died before he died or after. I mean, you know, you don't know what zombie Prince William is up to.
1: <laughs> and I'm willing to bet maybe this is off of an old recipe he had had at some point because he was old enough to be like, No, I remember the actual India pale ales. <laughs> yeah. Brewed to survive the train. I remember
2: when we used to make the Indians brew this. That's not how that worked. <laughs> don't you lie to me.
1: <laughs> Look, that man Again, another historical aside... Cheated out of two kingships. Yeah. Like uh, he was he was in line for the Greek yeah. throne and then became in line yeah. for the British throne. Got guts. And was just screwed. Got
2: smuggled out of Greece in an
1: orange crate. <laughs> Again, watch the crown.
2: The most beautiful show you'll probably find on Netflix.
0: Well, um <clears throat> so. Yeah and of course in the article they of course mention uh they're they're assuming that it's probably not, you know, uh, a hazy <laughs> juice bomb uh, IPA. I'm like, yeah. So uh Sodringham House For New on England, the
1: It's not England. Don't yeah. Don't you lie to me. It was Treehouse. <laughs> That's where Treehouse copied their recipes.
0: So, uh, on the 20,000 acre rural estate has housed four generations of British monarchs since 1862, and is one of the Queen's two private residences, Prince William and Catherine, Duchess of Cambridge. I've I've only ever heard her referred to by Kate, and I'm like, wait, what? Uh, (laughs) also have a country home, (laughs) uh, Anmer, Anmer Hall, not sure, on the grounds of the estate, while another portion is a 600 acre country park open to the public. Traditionally, the estate is where the British monarch gathered to uh, celebrate Christmas. Uh, the beer, meanwhile, is available to tourists via the Saundringham shop. Uh, this is by no means the first time that the monarchy has used its own image to sell alcohol to the general public, of course. Buckingham Palace already has its own lineup of gin, wine, and whiskey. So it's uh, sort of remarkable that a Queen Elizabeth II beer didn't already exist. Now, uh, though, tourists will be able to finally complete their royal booze collection. Hmm.
2: You know, I'm just thinking now that, that they've got a, a whiskey that I didn't know that existed. And all okay. I can think of is one of the one of the people that have lived underneath them uh, are probably not happy to have made that for them, whether they're Scotch or Irish.
0: No. <laughs> mm. I just, I, I like the label of the the. Beer bottle that's on the this article, the Norfolk Brood. Mm,
2: yeah, it's a uh, it is a nice looking looking little little bit of art. Uh, they've got a
1: I don't know very British. I I felt they've got a oh, yeah. So you got a hair like
0: Rabbit cover. You got a
1: hair and what the other one's like a grouse. I was going to say as like some
2: sort of pheasant. Yeah, grouse. Yeah. I think Sandrium is near Scotland. So, or it may be Scott. Yeah, I don't exactly know where it's. So, yeah, if it's north, so it, it might be up that way. So, yeah, maybe Aisgares.
1: know Well, our last speaking story. Of it, yeah. Spe- <laughs> speaking of uh, the Scots, uh, our next story is going to have you asking, "Who's a good boy? <laughs> Who's a good boy? Well, what's this a good barrel is, <laughs> This is the goodest boy answering the best question. Grant's whiskey in Girvan, Scotland, has a unique approach to maintaining a competitive advantage. The brand recently employed a dog to help inspect its wooden casks. Do
2: they store what, like cocaine, in the casks? <laughs> Find it, dog. Dog
1: loves his <laughs> dog. Loves his job. Distillery hired Rocco, an 18-month-old cocker spaniel, specifically trained by Stuart Phillips of BWY Canine. To detect irregularities and imperfections in the wood. By the way, I first a read
2: second. I first read B W Y K nine as bring your own K- <laughs> and I was like that though. Those letters don't work.
1: A second dog, uh, Bran, was trained at the same time. Uh, in a press release, Phillips noted that the classified nature of the operation. It's the first time such dogs have been trained to carry out detection role like this. And I've had to go it alone in secret. <laughs> sure. Scientists estimate that the canine's sense of smell is tens of thousands of times uh, more sensitive than a humans. Dogs become expert canine sniffers. Through extensive training, and they are usually trained for one specific scent profile, mm. typically specializing in narcotics or <laughs> explosives. Recently, we've seen them using their noses to detect cork taint and COVID, and now inspect whiskey. the The COVID thing just reminds me of like the dogs from Terminator. Oh
2: yeah, Where they use them to detect to the robots the because they freak out on them.
1: Being a natural product, they can tell they have no soul. Right. Uh, Being a natural product, the quality of the wood used in the casks uh, can have a significant impact on the scotch being produced, as the spirits are infused with the flavors contained in the wood, and any consistencies can affect the quality of the whiskey aging inside. Grant's Distillery believes that the attention to detail paid by the well-trained woofer and his supervisor... Uh, will help the brand maintain its top shelf status. Hold on, sorry, did you just, the supervisor's supervisor,
0: name, Mr. Wolf. That's really his
1: name, Mr. Wolf.
2: <laughs> just walking yeah, the dog. They do- have
0: to be like that's really his name, you guys. Walking
2: in with a dog. Well, Mr. Wolf, please. Mr. Wolf is the canine. Just call me. Wolf. <laughs>
1: Rocco can be seen cruising quickly around the distillery sniffing pallets of casks in a video released by Grants. Not only is it an ingenious way to make scotch even better, we always think it's a great idea to bring a furry friend to work.
2: The problem is you can't play with that dog. He's on the clock. You know. Yeah, you can't while they're yeah. they're wearing the collars. Yeah, like he's he's doing work. Afterwards though, I imagine like guys like, "Okay, good boy. You found the right he's one." Rolling and around then, with and then you just go outside like, "And fetch." We fetch for days. <laughs>
1: That's usually what they have to do, like when they train the dogs with the drug dogs, if you've ever seen that going down, that they hide like a pack of cocaine in something and when the dog finds it, they're like then they're like, All right, now we're gonna go play fetch for like half an hour so that you're like, Yeah, that smell means fetch. It means play I mean
2: <laughs> I would be bad at that because all I'd want to do is like, no, we're gonna go play. No, we need to train them for stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get to the training. Who wants? Who wants to go? Who wants to go run after things? <gasps> yeah, you do.
1: But yeah, that yeah. is interesting to be like. No, like they're getting all these second use casks in, and there could be infection and things yeah. hiding out in those barrels that they are unaware of that the dog can pick up. Got to. So gotta,
2: yeah, that. Got to send them down to a rum distillery when they're done. Gosh. Dog goes through, just like walks back out. What's the matter? Someone speak dog? He's just saying it's all infected.
1: (laughs) It's just nom in there.
0: (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, we'd like to remind everyone that this is our news only show, but we also do a weekly long form show discussing the science and history around what you drink. If you like what you hear and you want to support Have a Drink, please go to patreon.com slash show. And we will see you again in another couple of weeks for the next live episode. Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin
1: Frazier. And I'm Christopher Walker. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. hope you've enjoyed this program <laughs>